Welcome to Future of Work, a podcast by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins that discusses the role of people, place, and technology in business and its impact on employment policies and practices. Hello, and welcome to the first Future of Work podcast for the employment and pensions team of Trowers and Hamlins, hosted by me, Rebecca McGuirk, and my colleague, Nifla Inatovic. We've been getting lots of questions from clients about coronavirus, so today Nicola and I are going to talk through some of the steps that employers should be taking to look after their staff and some of the things that they might need to be thinking about given that we're awaiting the outcome of the COBRA meeting that's happening today. Obviously today we've seen the biggest rise in the number of uh, cases with over 100, so this is going to become more and more topical and we are no doubt going to be moving from the control phase to the delay phase and we'll pick up during our conversation what that may mean for employers. So Nicola, let's kick off. Perhaps a silly question, but do employers have to do anything? (laughs) Well, it is a good question and it's not a silly one, that's certainly. Um, Yes, this is something that employers need to be live to. Um, they're under a duty to protect the health and safety of all their employees. Uh, ACAS has actually produced some really helpful guidance uh, on this and suggests there are some really simple steps that employers can take, like keeping everyone updated on their actions that are being taken to reduce the risk of exposure, which would just help try and keep everybody calm, Um, making sure that everyone's contact details are up to date so that if anything happens and you have to move quite quickly, uh, that you can keep in touch with your with your staff, making sure that managers know how to spot the symptoms of coronavirus so that you know if someone becomes symptomatic at work, the manager can take action, um, and generally encouraging good hygiene. I mean, we're all seeing the posters up around everywhere about hand washing techniques and sneezing into our own, into our elbows. So, um, you know, there's some really good basic practice that employers can take as a starting point. And I hear that it's been recommended that employers should have a coronavirus room as well. If someone's suddenly taken ill at work, they can go to and that you should be telling employees what they need to do if they are taken to that room. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense, doesn't it, to have somewhere where you can isolate someone if you're at all concerned. You know, especially if you work in if you work in a busy open plan office or, you know, an environment where, you know, people come into contact with each other. Uh, very frequently, then it makes sense to have identified somewhere where you can you can take someone take somewhere and so they can seek medical advice, or just while you know you're calling NHS one 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 to find out um, what the what problem is, or simply making arrangements for them to get home without using public transport. Great. So we've heard lots about Public Health England. Who are they, and uh, what do they say? So, uh, yes, Public Health England, they're part of the Department for Health, um, and in essence, they have kind of overall responsibility for looking after the nation's health. So they've issued, again, like um, uh, like ACAS, they've issued advice on things like good hygiene and who should self-isolate. Um, their advice is only advisory, uh, but given an employer's got that duty to look after the health and safety of its workforce, then it makes sense to follow it. And is their advice updated regularly? Is it easy to access for employers? Yeah, it's on the website. Um, So it's really easy to access and it's really easy to circulate to your workforce. Um, It's updated 
well, not quite daily at the moment, but we're getting to that point. So it's worth checking back on a regular basis to see if there are see if there are any updates. So put it on your favourites and keep, li- <laughs> keep looking at it then. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so what about if you've got someone who's been to a country that's in lockdown, say Italy, um, or somewhere else that's on Public England's sort of list? What what should we be doing in in that scenario? So yeah, if they've been to a high risk area that's on the, you know, on the danger list, if you like, um, then even if they haven't got any symptoms, then they need to be self-isolating for 14 days when they come back. Um, even if, uh, similarly, like even if they haven't got any symptoms, if they've been to an area which perhaps is not as bad, it's not on lockdown like Northern Italy, but they've been away uh, somewhere where there are rising cases, uh, which covers quite a lot of mainland Europe at the moment, um, then if they've got symptoms, they should self-isolate. And in fact, we're seeing quite a lot of employers um, require employees to self-isolate, even if they haven't been somewhere, but they've got symptoms, like normal sort of cold and flu symptoms, um, because it's quite difficult to tell the difference between a normal head cold, an ordinary head cold and coronavirus. It uh, makes sense to ask people to try and stay away from the, the workplace if they can work from home, for example. Um, so, And it also just helps um, manage the risk for anyone in the workforce that might have an underlying health condition. So make them put them in a higher risk category. Yeah, okay. And I'm going to pick up with you in a bit, Nicola, about uh, the underlying health conditions Mm. and Mm. what employers uh, can do. So what about pay? Uh, Mm. Does an employer have have to pay people who are in self-isolation? Yeah, so I mean, the starting point actually is, well, can they still be working even if they're in self-isolation? So someone can be in self-isolation and not actually have any symptoms, so they might feel fine within themselves. Um, and still be able to work. So if they're working remotely, then yes, of course, they should still be paid for, for the work that they're doing. Um, if they are, if they're self-isolating and either they can't work from home or they, you know, they're not well enough um, to work from home, then there's various different things that, that kick in. Um, so under the terms of their contracts, they might be entitled to sick pay. So of course, they should be, should be paid. Uh, the government has, as part of their budget, extended the statutory sick pay regime mm-hmm. um, so that that kicks in earlier now yeah. and for small businesses um, the government has said that it will pick up the costs of that statutory sick pay uh, for that initial period of sick leave which is a really good really good news for small businesses yeah because this could really be putting a strain on them couldn't it suddenly you know it's had no instances of of sickness and now suddenly it's got half its workforce yeah. off and it's having to pay for them to be off and other people to cover the roles. Yeah. It could be really costly. Yeah, it? absolutely. Especially in businesses where you can't do it remotely. Yeah. You know, in lots of retail, um, for lots of retail employers, you know, in the construction industry, it's not like, you know, you can't build HS2 from home. <laughs> <laughs> if or, only. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, in the social care sector, for example, there are, you know, there's lots of employers where they need staff to show up and the you know the job can't be done can't be done from home 
Exactly. So what about then if you have a colleague who doesn't want to self-isolate, but they should be, mm. if looking at the guidance that, you know, mm. they should mm. be? Yeah, and no, I think that's a, that's a tricky situation, especially if, the, you know, the colleague's saying, well, I feel fine and I want to come to work. So the employer's still got an obligation to the rest of its workforce. Um, you know, and you've got to bear in mind as well that someone with an underlying health condition, it won't necessarily be obvious. They might not have declared that to mm. the employer. Yeah. You know, um, you know and they, they're under no obligation to if it mm-hmm. doesn't affect yeah. their ability to, to work. Um so, you know, if you've got someone who's refusing <laughs> to stay at home, um, I mean, ultimately, uh, you know, if they if they refuse, the employer could suspend them, yeah. um, you know, on medical grounds um, in that situation. Um, you know, and if they if they continue to be difficult about it, I mean, ultimately, it could be they could need to take disciplinary action. I mean, I think the situation is developing so fast at the moment that, you know, that we may get to the point quite quickly where the government guidance is that, you know, everyone needs to be, yeah, you know, staying at home or needs to be self-isolating, even if they've got, you know, kind of any any of these risk factors. Yeah. So it may become easier for an employer to point to those and require people to stay at home. Obviously, it's much harder if people are not going to be paid. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's likely to be the next issue, isn't it? So yeah. grievance is coming because people aren't aren't getting their pay, but they can work. Yeah. You know, they believe yeah. that they can work. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, you know, there are, there are certain categories where that's quite likely to be the case, such as zero hours workers, for example, or agency staff. Yeah. Um, where they're not necessarily entitled to sick pay under their contractual terms. Um, you know, they might get SSP, but, you know, that there could be quite a big difference between their normal daily rate, or hourly rate and, and SSP. Um, you know, I think employers and agencies um, may need to sort of start thinking about the bigger picture, you know, in terms of a, an overall responsibility here to try and, you know, mitigate the impact and stop the spread. Um, you know, and for some employers... Uh, for example, you know they might, if if people are not showing up, it could be a real issue in terms of delivery. They might be they might suffer financial penalties, um, you know, if they're not delivering a service that they're contracted to. But if they end up with, you know, a, a much higher proportion of their workforce off sick in due course, that could be the bigger cost. So there's a bit of a, a bit of a balancing act and yeah. a bit of a kind of crystal ball gazing to be going on at the moment. So it's quite difficult, but. Um, you know, I think it is worth employers thinking about, well, you know, it should we look at, you know, perhaps paying discretionary sick pay, even if we don't strictly have to, um, to try and, you know, mitigate the impact early. You know, we don't want people coming in if they're sick. Yeah. Because that's going to cause us more headaches yeah. later down the line. Yeah. And that was, I was going to ask, ask you that, Nick, that we've, we've seen, haven't we, some mm-hmm. clients who are being very generous and they are relaxing their sick pay policies mm. so for example if an employee is exhausted company sick pay they're saying in this unique set of circumstances mm. we're going to carry on and pay them yeah. contractual sick pay yeah. even though strictly speaking we don't have to because it's mm. the benefit of the greater good but I guess ultimately it all comes down to affordability doesn't it yeah absolutely absolutely and it's you know it's much easier for large employers with who are mostly office based and they can invest in the you know they've got the technology to enable remote working and 
um, you know, people are happy to be flexible and, you know, it's easier and they've got a bigger budget to encourage uh, people to stay away much harder for those smaller employers, um, you know, or where the remote working isn't so possible. Um, but, you know, we're seeing, you know, there's lots of things now, be, you know, events being cancelled. Um, you know, we've seen in Scotland today that, um, you know, events with more than 500 people should be called off. Uh, we're seeing sporting events be yeah. cancelled. Yeah. You know, the ATP tennis tour is yeah. suspended yeah. at the moment. So, um, you know, I think there there's a bigger context and things are going to, you know, lots of things are going to kind of grind to a halt a little bit. Um, so it may get easier to encourage people to be kind of looking after themselves yeah. um, in that sense. So what about um, abuse? Uh, hopefully there uh, isn't going to be too too much abuse but um, you know some employees may be claiming that they've got um, these symptoms when when they don't again this might become irrelevant when we know the outcome of today's COBRA meeting but sort of at this point in time what evidence do you think um, employers can ask for? Yeah so you can ask um, you know you can ask people for you know the normal medical evidence that you would want for proof that someone is sick I mean of course the difficulty that we've got is that the guidance from a lot of GPs is don't come (laughs) to the surgery if you think you've got coronavirus so um it's a little bit tricky um you know it's you could get people saying oh great you know my sick pay has been extended so I can have a couple of days at home you know an extra couple of days off haven't had a snow day yet have we this year coronavirus day instead yeah no you know you, you, bit of me wants to say you're oh, careful what you wish for <laughs> um so i think it might be tricky for employers to prove that an employee is you know taking advantage um i mean ultimately if you can you know if you see them um claiming their sick leave and then you see them posting on facebook that <laughs> yeah. they've been out to you know um, a football match before the football matches get cancelled then that's a different matter um i think you know they're going to have to take a, a slightly more relaxed view about medical evidence um just given the nature of you know how the nhs is is dealing with this at the moment. yeah i mean and if the stats are right and 70% of us are going to get it. I mean, GPs and 111 just aren't going to be able to give mm. that documentation. Mm. You know, the, in the grand scheme of it, they've got much bigger issues to yeah. deal with, haven't they, than giving a piece of paper to someone so that they can prove to their employer that they're, yeah. they're ill. Absolutely. And I suppose ultimately, if... Um, you know, if the government tells us we've all got to stay at home, well, you know, employers are going to have bigger issues than whether one individual is, you know, skiving for the day. Um, what about if uh, a colleague doesn't want to come into work because they're they're scared of catching coronavirus? Mm, no, I mean that's a that's a really interesting question. Um, you know, especially given the nature of some of the underlying conditions. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, an employer might not necessarily know whether someone has an underlying condition or not. So in those circumstances, I think I'd try and encourage an employer to have a conversation with the employee about what they're worried about. Is it a, you know, is it a general concern about the virus and, you know, they're seeing events being shut down and, you know, seeing other places ban large gatherings mm. and, you know, perhaps they're worried about travelling on the tube or on the public transport but have a conversation with about what it is that they're worried about. You can't force someone to disclose an underlying yeah, health condition. Yeah, I was going to say that. Can an employer send out like a mass email saying, 
please declare by return any underlying conditions. <laughs> yeah, no, you can't force people to disclose something they don't want to disclose. And obviously it is, it's sensitive personal data. Exactly. <laughs> under the GDPR. Um, but you can encourage and you can um, give people a route or you know give someone give them someone to contact if they've got concerns that they want to discuss you know whether that's HR or whether that's their line manager um you know so somebody hopefully that they feel comfortable talking to about any concerns um and that then gives the employer a route to sort of try and find ways to to mitigate those concerns you know is it if it's a concern about you know very busy public transport or can you adjust their working hours you know you can say well you can come in slightly later and mm. leave slightly earlier but you know we'll, we'll look at whether there are meetings that you can attend by by phone by video con by skype instead yeah, yeah. um you know just see what the flexibility yeah. is and i guess it might not be that they're concerned about themselves it might be someone that you know absolutely. in their, their family a child partner yeah uh, etc so someone they're if, caring for exactly yeah. so if you have that conversation yeah. you will find out what it is won't you what's the number the, the, the problem the number yeah. the cause so yeah. i think it you know a lot of this is going to be about communicating isn't it definitely with your employees whether on an individual basis or on a large scale basis isn't it yeah absolutely absolutely so what about uh time off because Mm -hmm. school shuts i think today we've been told um in uh ireland they've decided to Mm -hmm. shut schools and colleges i think lots of parents are just waiting to get that email from school to tell us the same so what what can an employer do there yeah so then um the employees have got the right to a reasonable amount of time off um, to look after dependents. Um, obviously, that's going to depend on the nature of the incident and the particular personal circumstances. Um, but generally, you know, reasonable time off is only going to be a couple of days. Not um, four weeks. It's not four weeks. <laughs> no. You know, and it's only while the employee makes alternative arrangements for, um, you know, for their childcare or for their, you know, their, whoever it is that they've got caring responsibilities for. And that time's unpaid. So it really is only a short-term solution. Um, and again, I think if you've got dependents who are who are seriously ill or potentially in a high-risk category, I mean, based on what we know about coronavirus, that doesn't include children at the mm. moment, fortunately. Um, but I think if you know if you've got an elderly relative, um, then employers are probably going to be expected to be much more flexible. You know, and as we've talked about, if um, you know if things do escalate after the COBRA meeting, and um, you know we're looking at uh, much more extensive restrictions, um, then some of this might be taken out of employers' hands. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think um, it might be that the government look at bringing in legislation um, to help employees in those circumstances. You know, we're, we're kind of waiting to see what happens a little bit. Yeah, I think there were rumours, weren't there, that they may be bringing in legislation so that you can have time out mm. to mm. look after a dependent maybe they'll extend that to looking after children if the yeah. school shut without that impacting on mm. your future employment mm. so uh, whether that's paid or not who, who knows yeah I suppose you could potentially employers could you know dependent on the age of the children there's possibility of working from home I guess yeah, absolutely or you know it's holiday big, yeah unpaid leave they should be thinking about all those things absolutely as well. yeah absolutely of course there's a big difference in that between you know very young children 
um, you know, and teenagers, yeah. uh, especially this time of year with exams coming up. <laughs> yes, I know. That's a concern in our, in our house. What about travel abroad? Again, Easter holidays, mm. lots of people maybe were thinking or still are thinking about going abroad. Mm. What can an employer do? Can it say, I'm not letting you go? Well, I think that's really tricky, especially if it's, you know, if it's pre-booked annual leave and it's been paid for, um, you know, and a country is still technically on a list where the the foreign office is saying, yes, it's fine to travel, or they haven't banned it yet. Um, I think that's difficult for an employer to just flat out and say, no, you're not going. Um, you know, it risks, it might be a breach of contract, it could be a fundamental breach of trust and confidence. Um, I mean, you have to look at this commercially and think, well, is anyone really going to resign um, at the moment? Yeah. <laughs> but legally, yeah. there's a there's a potential risk there. But I think it is worth, you know, keeping under review, um, you know, and again, having conversations with people. And if you've got really critical, you know, business leading roles, um, you know, perhaps ask people to be sensible about it. I mean, the real issue is that until it goes on a list saying, no, you can't travel at government level, um, employees might be losing really significant sums yeah. of money. Yeah. Um, it's not going to be covered by insurance yeah. um, necessarily, but things are moving very fast. Yeah. So, you know, it might be that by the time they're looking to travel, actually it is on that list yeah. Um, saying look it's not safe yeah. um, and so it is covered by insurance at that point so I think you know keeping the keeping the communication open yeah um, you know asking people to be sensible looking at is this a role where if you have to self-isolate when you come back you can mm-hmm. is this a role where you know actually if you get stuck while you're abroad you know and you can't come back have you got the equipment to be able to keep in touch you know yeah. and work remotely while you're there yeah. and obviously it's not going to apply in every role in every yeah. sector um but just sort of thinking creatively yeah about that worth packing your laptop just in case you Absolutely. get stuck somewhere <laughs> yeah. hopefully on a hot beach <laughs> uh what about if the workplace actually has has to shut mm, mm. yeah well we're seeing this a bit already where you know employers are deciding to shut an office because there's been a case or someone who's particularly at risk um, and we might see more of it if the government decides to move to the delay phase and introduce more social distancing, is the phrase. Um, so, again, you're going to be looking at practically, are there IT solutions to support remote working? Um, again, if we've got up-to-date contact details, how are we communicating? Um, but, you know, that said, at the moment... Um, just because someone's diagnosed with coronavirus doesn't mean that a workplace has to shut. So uh, what uh, Public Health England have said is that you know a protection team can come in and carry out a risk assessment and advise the employer accordingly. So there's lots of there's lots of different factors for different organisations here. So taking advice, uh, looking at risk management, looking at alternative ways of working, you know, are all things that can factor in in that situation. So they're going to be busy people, aren't they? Those public health England bots. Yeah, yeah. So I think you know, questions about if they got sufficient resources as well as the NHS. Yeah. So finally, Nick, what about any trials top tips then? Uh, what yes, employers yes. should be doing? <laughs> the famous trials top tips. <laughs> well, I think let's start with the basics and encourage good hygiene. Um, that's what we should all be taking responsibility for at the moment. Um, second. You know, be sensitive around this. There are there might be people with 
very legitimate concerns around their own underlying health issues or those of a family member. Um, you know, so be sensitive about that and consider flexible working arrangements where you can. Uh, it's worth keeping in contact with your workforce about what you're doing, you know, what you're doing to manage the impact, what you're doing to keep on top of the government advice. You know, you might want to publish some FAQs uh, so staff know what's going on and what they can do. Be prepared to deal with time off work requests, whether that's um, for an employee themselves or to care for dependents. Keep on top of the government guidance. It's changing fast. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so it's worth having someone who's responsible for checking um, checking those updates as and when they come out. Um, you know, and I think everybody's got to be prepared to be quite flexible yeah. at the moment. Um, and obviously, finally, they can follow follow us on Twitter for all of our updates on what's going on. We're at Trower's Future um, and we're putting out regular updates on coronavirus and how employers are managing the situation. That's great, Nick. Well, hopefully you've enjoyed our first Trower's uh, Future of Work podcast. And uh, I was going to say watch this space, but listen. <laughs> and hopefully we'll be doing some more. So that's uh, goodbye from me. And <laughs> Goodbye from me. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.